Welcome back to the Bulls Beat Bulls fans. Doug Tonus here with you discussing our Chicago Bulls. And the title of this podcast is Captured in the Moment because I think in the present moment there's a lot of things uh, that I see fans captured in. Just prisoners of this pretty short stretch and, and maybe our overall desire for some exciting Bulls play uh, has us more excited about this stretch and certain aspects of this stretch uh, than we should be. So to recap right now, and I'm recording before the Knicks game, always dangerous to record before a big game and a game the Bulls are an underdog in uh, because, yeah, whatever, if they lose, things change. If they win, things change, and uh, we'll see what happens. But as of right now, the Bulls are 15 and 20. They're 10th in the East. They're a half game ahead of the Atlanta Hawks. They're one game ahead of the Toronto Raptors. Kind of feel like after the OG and Anobi trade, the Toronto Raptors are maybe not playing for this year. But again, after that, it's a pretty steep drop off to the Hornets, who uh, are five and a half games behind the Bulls. So, you know, the Hawks and the Raptors are like right there. The Hornets, the Wizards, and the Pistons are just way, way uh, down beneath that. So it is kind of like a three team race between, maybe we'll say a four team race between the Nets, the Bulls, the Hawks, and the Raptors for the final two playing spots. And uh, that, that is how it is now. They're about five games away from the fifth seed. So five games is a pretty big number in the NBA. You'd have to win five. The other team would have to lose five. And you'd need multiple teams to lose around that many because uh, you got to pass a bunch of teams on the way. But they're five games away from the fifth seed. And, and I state that because I think the fifth seed is actually pretty important in terms of that's the seed you would need to have to have some chance of actually winning uh, in the first round of the playoffs. And so we'll see, we'll see what happens uh, there, but it, it, it's a pretty big stretch to think they're going to make up five games on every team, you know, ahead of them. One of those teams might drop out, but you know, it kind of feels right now there's a little bit of a range forming uh, between the nine, 10, 11, and 12 group of those four teams. And that's, you know, without some significant change in how things go, uh, that's going to be the area the bulls are going to play in for the rest of the year. And so if we start looking at, you know, the most likely scenario is that the Bulls are in the 9 through 12 slot. You know, how much do you care about this, this present situation or this present team and what they do the rest of the year is a good question. So uh, that's why I say captured in the moment. Because the Bulls have played a lot better lately. They have won more games lately. Uh, they've on a, been on a good stretch. And it correlates with Zach Levine being out. And you know, a lot of people have then said, like, well, Zach is just a terrible player. I like to remind people that Zach Levine was the main reason we won all those games on that 14-9 and nine stretch you know, at the end of last season that everyone was really excited about. Sometimes you just go on good stretches, and the real difference is in that stretch, Zach was amazing, scoring around 30 points a game, and he was like a 50-40-90 guy. And then Kobe White was kind of doing a proximity of that during where the Bulls were playing extraordinarily well, scoring you know, 25 points and having all these numbers and great efficiency. And then as Kobe White has dropped off, all of a sudden – you know, the team has kind of fallen back to earth a little bit in terms of some of those numbers. And, you know, at least over the last uh, six games, we're 500, you know, three losses versus two wins in the last five. But if we go back to six games, 500, go back more, it's a little better. Um, but more or less, uh, you know, they're playing around 500 basketball right now. And, you know, that's uh, considerably better than they were before. But 500 the rest of the year, again, probably gets you into that. 9, 10, 11, 12 slot, not into something better. And so the Bulls still need to improve uh, to, to really try to make something that would be 
quasi-meaningful happen this year. And, you know, I don't know how high you'd have to go for something to be meaningful for you as a fan. To me, I want to feel like we have a chance to win a playoff round. And like I said, I think to do that, you're going to need to get to the four or five spot. I don't think you're going to beat Philly or Milwaukee or Boston in the playoffs unless there's some kind of crazy injury situation happening. So uh, I don't think the Bulls are going to be able to do that. So assuming their upside is first-round exit and their likely is likely upside, I guess, is like playing team that may or may not even make it to the playoffs, I don't view that as so high. Uh, so I'm going to talk about some of the things that have changed since the last podcast. It has been a while and, and try and dive into some details that maybe I don't always get a chance to do on the Big Red Bus with our good buddy, Fred Pfeiffer. So first, uh, Kobe White, uh, like I noted earlier in his good stretch, he was playing as well as like Zach Levine. And so when Zach was out and Kobe was doing his Zach impression and was playing really amazing, you know, the team started to look like the team looked like when Zach played really well, because all of a sudden now they have someone, you know, kind of giving us what Zach gave us. And the problem isn't that Zach Levine is a team killer or awful or whatever. And the problem is he was playing awful. He was playing terrible. He was shooting way, way worse than what he shot over the last three years. And so Zach just wasn't playing like Zach. And whether that will change when Zach comes back, who knows? You know, whether that is just Zach who's checked out and is just going to continue to play like hot garbage, who knows? It'll be interesting to see whether Zach comes back and maybe has a little bit of humbleness to the fact that it looks like no one else in the NBA wants him. And maybe he comes back more willing to contribute, more willing uh, to play a role, more willing to you know, do the things we want him to do and fit into the offense. You know, that'll be an interesting thing. But the Bulls definitely, you know, at times, are really missing the ability to have another guy out there who can you know, shoot really well, who can score a lot of points in volume, who can give them efficiency. Zach's not done a lot of that this year. But certainly we've seen over a three-year stretch, his aggregate performance is tremendous in those areas. And so, you know, the problem is not that Zach's just awful. The problem is Zach is not playing like he was the previous three years. And there's really not a lot of reason to think that he can't, you know, just maybe he was on a cold stretch. Kobe White started on a cold stretch and then he went on a hot stretch. Now Kobe White is back on a cold stretch. And, you know, the difference is teams started scouting Kobe White. He's not getting all these open threes anymore. And and Kobe White had a huge amount of open threes, which is why he was such a great three-point shooter. He's not getting those open threes anymore. Now they're just sending waves of guys at him and his shooting and has just fallen off a cliff when he's not getting all these good shots. I still like a lot of other things I see from him. His attacking of the basket is much better. His getting to the foul line is better. His passing is better, dribbling better. Like all those things we kind of talked about going into this season, those improvements are still there. Uh, But, you know, if he's not able to shoot the ball well and he's going to put up like 10% shooting from the three-point line like he has the last four or five games collectively, you know, that's not going to be a good impact for uh, the Chicago Bulls. And so, you know, having Zach back, if Donovan can find a way to bring him in mentally, could really bring a boost to this team. And I think that's going to be one of the things that's really just hard to say. How does Zach's teammates feel about him theoretically asking out? How does Donovan feel about it? How does Zach feel about coming back now? Is he okay coming back now? Has his view changed any? You know, has any of this been reconciled and can it be reconciled? If it can't, you almost just have to dump him for anything you can get. But if it can, it would be great to bring him back into the fold. And I think he could help the Bulls out and he could raise his value. And there's a win-win scenario for everyone there, even if that eventually involves Zach on a different team. All right. Let's move on to Vucevic. Vucevic just got hurt, and he's going to be out for a while. There's no timetable on his return. And 
We'll get into injuries a little bit later, but it's no timetable on his return yet, but it didn't seem like it was going to be that bad, but he's not going to practice at least the rest of this week. Um, Zach, by the way, may be back as early as Friday uh, from, from what I read. So uh, we'll see what happens with him, but uh, Vooch is out for a while. We're two and two in the games. Vooch is gone. And it's, it's interesting, you know, Will Gottlieb, and I love Will Gottlieb. So if you listen to this, Will, I love you. I think you're amazing. He tweeted out something in the 24-25 Drummond game. Was it 23 points, 25 rebounds, something like that? Whatever, that massive first game. Like, oh, the Bulls sure miss Vooch's passing. Like Drummond is throwing up a monster game, and that was the tweet. And I've seen a lot of things like this where it's like all of a sudden the Bulls are just missing Vooch's passing. They can't run the offense without Vooch. Things are going super terrible. Look, we're 15 and 20 in the year. We're 2 and 2 without Vooch. And those games include games against all good teams, like the Hawks, who are competing for us for 10th and a half game behind us, the Pacers, who are ahead of us, and the 76ers, who are one of the elite teams in the East, two games against them. And we're 2-2 two and two in those games, and Andre Drummond single-handedly won one of them for us. Like, I don't know that the takeaway from that is like, oh my God, the Bulls are hopeless without Vooch. It also doesn't really even go into the fact that like there's a massive, massive drop-off between Drummond and a two-way contract guy who is now the backup center, depending on whichever two-way, I mean, Terry Taylor is kind of doing it now, but... It's like you're basically on these like two-way guys who are your backup center, total fringe NBA guys. Like probably there are guys off the street who you could sign who would be better if you just needed help now. And, you know, you used to be going to a backup of Drummond who's, I mean, in my view, probably an equal player to Vooch in ability. So your total center spot was pretty constant in its level of ability. And you've now gone from this like sort of reasonable quasi-bench level center level of ability that both Vooch and Drummond have to going into like a not-in-the-league caliber center as soon as Drummond goes out. So there's a huge drop-off there in the quality of the backup minutes. And I think that is one of those things that people seem to miss out on a lot. Um, And then the other thing is that we have built an offense that really relies on Vooch being a good passer and the center being a hub. That's not really what most teams do. Like most teams aren't like, you know what, we got to run the ball through the center you know, at the elbow or, or, or whatever. Like, it's just not a super common way necessarily to run your offense. That is our offense. That's why Wendell Carter Jr. didn't work, you know, really well here is because he wasn't capable of making the quick decisions. So in the way we've built the team around, like, Vooch is actually, like, that ability helps a lot. But that is sort of actually maybe a downfall to the whole system we decided we're going to put in place that you wanted to do that. I've really never seen a guy who has so many negative aspects to him, gets so many really smart people I know just trying to find some way to justify that he's actually a really positive player that impacts winning. He's been one of the worst plus minus guys on the team for three years. He's one of the least efficient centers in the NBA. He's one of the worst defenders at his position because he can only play drop defense. He can't play any other scheme. And yeah, his connected passing is good. People used to say he spaces the floor, but they've given up on that because his shooting is so bad and he doesn't really space the floor. And I pointed out, Andre Drummond actually spaces the floor more than Vooch does because you have to keep a body on him. Like You can't leave Andre Drummond. Like Vooch goes out to the three-point line and people are like, oh, you're going to shoot 28% from out there? Yeah, go ahead. I don't care. Like, he's a terrible shooter out there. I mean, like no one ever said uh, that... Uh, 
Derek Jones Jr. spaced the floor or Javante Green spaced the floor. And they're both guys who shot way better than Vooch is shooting this year. Yet people still keep saying Vooch spaces the floor, which is just insane to me. Is that like one good three-point year in his career and people can't get it out of their heads? It's just nuts. It's just completely nuts. Like his average three-point percentage as a bull is probably around like 32%, 33%. It's Javante Green, Derek Jones Jr. number. It's not a good number. It just isn't. Anyway, so now we've moved on from spacing the floor to, oh, this is connected passing. They just can't run the offense without him. Well, you know what else they can't do? The Bulls shot 22% roughly from three while Vooch has been out. Like Kobe White just went from shooting 60%, like the team was averaging like over 40% to like 22%. And they still went two and two in those games. Like if they shot 40% in those games, the results might even be considerably better. Like it's just... It's just crazy. Like it, the fact that they went two and two when they shot so badly, it's just nuts how people seem to be giving this guy so much credit for all this stuff. Like I just, I just don't understand it. It's just one of those things where like I just don't, I just don't see the world this way, and I just can't comprehend why so many smart people do. And so, you know, sometimes that makes me think like maybe I'm just wrong about this. Maybe I am, but I don't, I don't see it. I don't think so. So, it's just it's just the way it is. All right, let's move on to to Pat Williams. I would not qualify myself as a Pat Williams hater, but I'd, I'd say I was like a Pat Williams realist. And realistically, going into this year, like looked like a pretty mediocre prospect. Like he wasn't playing defense all that well. It couldn't create anything off the dribble. It looked really tentative, made lots of mistakes. Team always played terrible when he was on the floor. And to start this year, it was like all of that was true. And then also he was shooting the ball poorly. And, uh, you know, high floor Pat Will is back. High floor, Pat Will's back. So I've described Pat Williams throughout most of his career as a high floor, but kind of like low ceiling type player. And I still think that's maybe sort of true, but maybe I'm not giving quite enough credit to the ceiling. Like, it's not hard for me to see how Pat could be OG and Anobi. And that's like a really good player, right? Is it a player you want to have on a max contract? I'm not so sure. Like, probably not. Is it a player you're going to have to pay a max contract to? Quite possibly, yes. But it's not hard for me to see that being the upside with Pat Williams, and especially now. Now his shooting is back, uh, and his effort and his hustle, and the game seems to be slowing down from a little bit more. He's making better decisions. He's quicker with his defensive reads. He's getting into better position. He's, he's actually crashing uh, the glass a little bit. His, his overall rebounding numbers aren't a lot better, but I will say in his defense, like the Bulls have two of the best rebounders in the league, in Andre Drummond and Nikola Vucevic, who I just ripped on, but he's a great re- defensive rebounder. There's like just not a lot of rebounds available. And so, you know, I, I don't look at the overall numbers, but like his, his thought process attacking the glass and his positioning, and guys aren't walking around him for when he's trying to box out so much anymore. Like those things seem better to me. So he looks, he looks better in those areas to me. And then, you know, every once in a while you see him create a mid-ranger off the dribble, but mainly it's just the three-point shooting is back. But if his defense is legit and his three-point shooting is legit, again, like the floor for that guy is like 20 million. For a guy who can maybe defend four positions on the floor, floor is $20 million. So high floor, Pat Will looks like he's back. He's going to be an expensive player to keep next year, maybe. I think he's like in such an interesting contract position because he's the type of guy someone either looks at and says like, well, we could maybe get him, but we're going to have to like super overpay to convince Chicago not to match. And all of a sudden, he's going to be in a max deal. And then you're going to be like, Ugh, I don't know that I want that. Or it's going to be like, yeah, we'd have to overpay to get him and we don't want to. And all of a sudden now you've got a lot of power to negotiate uh, a contract with Pat Williams that looks a lot better. Uh, and who knows if we would do that or not. Like, it doesn't look like 
Arturis Karnaschovas has been one to use leverage when he has it. Like you look at the IO contract, there's a lot of leverage there and they didn't use it. They, they paid IO, I think, more than they needed to by a, a pretty considerable margin, even though he would have been a restricted free agent again next year if they just had him on the qualifying offer at like $5 million less, which would have given them a lot of leeway to do extra things this year, like solve the center depth problem or get bringing another big man, which they clearly desperately need right now. Uh, so they've not been a front office that's been willing to use leverage. And there's some advantages to that. I don't want to say like it's in, insane. Like there is something to be said for maintaining player relationships uh, and not trying to go scorched earth on everything. But there's also something to be said for not just bending over for everything. And like we definitely lean towards that second category than the first. And uh, so maybe we need to get a little bit more in between those two things of uh, just giving anyone whatever they ask for and, you know, like just trying to, to win every deal regardless of the, you know, personal impact on the other player. Like we'd, we'd need to be a little bit more uh, defensive of how we're managing money from an organizational perspective, I think. So we'll see what happens with Pat. But, you know, it's exciting to see Pat play better and look better. Uh, one of the things I talked about a lot at the beginning of the season was, you know, the Bulls had a really, really great injury luck last year. Like outside of Lonzo, they were one of the healthiest teams in the league. And that seems to be catching up to us uh, a lot recently. You know, so we got Zach out for a while. And, and the team has, you know, obviously weathered that stretch fantastically. Uh, Vooch is now out for an unknown period of time. It, it, it didn't seem like it was going to be that long, but the fact that he's still definitely not practicing this week does make it seem like maybe there is a little bit more downside to how long that might be out. And I had said, even though I'm not a big Vooch guy, I said, man, this would be one of the most critical guys to lose just because there's so little depth on this team when he goes out. You're basically at Drummond, who I didn't think could play 30 minutes a night, and then G League guys, you know, past him. So it's just, uh, it's, it's a critical injury. And then Torrey Craig being out makes it worse because Craig, you could have maybe used as a small ball center. That option is now gone. Uh, Pat and Kobe are both day-to-day, and so Pat would be another guy maybe... You could kind of play a small ball center, but the problem is Pat's back out and Craig is gone. And so there's really not like any depth at power forward either. And so getting hit with Craig and Vooch on sort of like these midterm injuries at the same time, um, that, that really hurts. That, that hurts a lot. Like I, I think if Craig was still healthy, you could have weathered this Vooch thing a lot better. And uh, now it's, it, it's tough. It's going to be tough. And I'm pretty happy the Bulls have gone two and two, to be honest over that, that stretch of games, you know, given how big a loss it is to drop from Vucevic to a G League guy. And that, that's really the problem, like, uh, that, that you're facing is, is when Drummond is out, you're now at, like, G League level. And so it's tough. And in those injuries, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully Zach is able to come back and be integrated well in the offense, a little bit more humble, a little bit more willing to do what he wants, and, and just comes back and has his head straight and can shoot the ball well and just perform like the Zach Levine we know we can see, you know, performing. Like we know that we've seen in the past and we've seen over the last three years. And that'll be really the best to get value for Zach uh, if we do trade him. And if we don't trade him, it'll be the best scenario for the Bulls too. So, you know, hopefully we can, we, we can see that happen. And so all of these things come to, you know, now the final, I guess maybe crescendo or point is, well, what do we do now? You know, all right, so like we were, we were on the verge of like, oh my God, this is a train wreck. You have to blow this team up and do something. And, and now like the team is, I don't want to say like righted the ship, but they've played a lot better. You know, people feel like 
there's maybe some hope. And I've, I forgot to even mention Alex Caruso, who's just playing at an insane level. Uh, so I'll mention him in, in, in a second. Just amazing three-point shooting, which is something he, he struggled with. Amazing defense. Caruso's just playing great. So um, that's fantastic to see. But so now you're stuck wondering, well, what do we do now? Uh, you, you are in the position where maybe you have to trade Zach or maybe you can keep him. That's a hard thing to know. I said on the big red bus, and I think this is true. You just don't know the internals of the situation. Like if Zach could come back and everyone can get on the same page and feel good about it, the best decision is probably to bring Zach back, given that it doesn't appear there's a trade market. Let him rehabilitate his value, and then you can always try again trading him later. Or maybe maybe with all this stuff happening, maybe he's just okay staying. So you kind of have to see how that is. Maybe just all those bridges are burnt, and this thing is done. You know, that, that's also a possibility. But so let's assume for a second you could move, you have to move Zach and you can move Zach and you can get, you know, I use the sort of like worst case scenario is Rui Hachimara and D'Angelo Russell coming back from the Lakers and like nothing else. And it's like, all right, well, we could definitely use Rui, right? We don't have any depth at, you know, the four. So he would help us there. And maybe you flip D'Lo somewhere else uh, for an expiring deal and a second rounder might be a possibility. And then now you just have a ton of cap room. Like if DeMar leaves next year and Zach's off the books and maybe you can get medical relief on Lonzo, like those three guys collectively uh, would be like 90 million of money off the books that you could then start trying to reallocate. And then you'd have Pat, Io, Kobe, Rui, you know, Dalen Terry sort of looks like he has a pulse lately. Like, yeah, maybe, maybe there's enough there to try and build the next play-in type team, but build it off 25-year-old guys instead of, you know, mid-30 guys. And that'll give you enough time to try and find other pieces and add to it. And you have some salary space and some flexibility back to work with. And, you know, that might be a way to go. And so if you do want to go that way, you know, the other thought is like, well, what do you do with Caruso? And what do you do with Damar? Like those two guys are, I mean, I think both really impactful on the Bulls winning. You know, Damar is our main uh, scorer, certainly our main scorer in the clutch and gets us a lot of our important baskets and, and points. And, you know, one of the places we can go for volume scoring. And if Zach's gone, you know, certainly we'll need that even more. Uh, but DeMar is also, you know, just flat out an older player. And, you know, when, when you're his age and you're a free agent and you're going to have to bring him back, you just got to ask the question of like, how much do I want to pay a guy for like his seasons when he's 35, 36, and 37? You know, who doesn't shoot the three and plays a guard position. You know, that's like a, a tough thing. And, and, you know, DeMar's game, it sort of like people always say, well, he'll age gracefully, but you lose a little bit if your game is just built entirely on craft. Like, you know, part of that craft is that you get there fast enough, quick enough, and whatever that you get people into these mistakes. It always hurts when you lose a step. And, you know, we've seen that even from DeMar this year compared to last year's. You know, he's, he's not playing as well as he has the past few years either. His efficiency is well down, even though he's still kind of giving us volume scoring. So you really got to be scared of a drop-off. But now if you want to trade DeMar and you're, you're only going to get a second rounder for him, I'd say keep him. Like I would, if I could get something decent that's going to help me in the future for him, I would move him you know, let him get on a good team, let him chase a ring, like whatever. And then take those future assets and use them to build up the next generation of whatever the Bulls team is going to be. But if it's only going to be a second rounder, then yeah, sure. Keep them. Let's like chase the play in this year. I'm not like, 
is this in a year where there's like some amazing prospect in the lottery? I don't think I want to, and people call me a tanker a lot of times. I don't want the Bulls to be so bad that they win 20 games just to get one pick and hope it's a really good guy. Like that is definitely not what I'm about. And so, you know, I would trade DeMar, but only if I can get something. And sort of the same with Alex Caruso. I mean, Alex Caruso, I think he's got a longer time expectancy than DeMar DeRozan does on his career. But given how Caruso plays, I really question also like how long he will, you know, stay as a super valuable player in the NBA. And it's not so much just on like his age, but it's also just he plays so balls out. He's not been a guy who's historically been healthy. He's in the midst of like the greatest three-point shooting uh, piece of his career ever. He's at career high in like scoring. His defense is great. Like it's hard to see his value getting higher and you're probably going to have to pay him just a crap ton of money uh, in, in the year and a half when he's a free agent if you want to keep him. And you're going to get more firm trading him now when he's got two playoffs that he's going to help a team with before they have to re-up. And he's 29 years old. He's going to be 30 soon. And so when you re-sign him, you're going to be paying for his 31, 32, 33, 34 seasons. I would be really concerned about Caruso being a really good player during those seasons, given his overall ability to stay on the floor you know, throughout his career and his style of play being pretty reliant on athleticism and quickness. So I think this is a time where if there's something good available for Crusoe, you bite the bullet, and it's going to hurt you this year. It just is. Crusoe has a big impact on winning, and that's why he's, he's worth something. But you bite the bullet and you trade him. The value is never going to get better. This is, this is as good as it's going to get. So you bite the bullet, you trade him, and you see what you can get that helps you in the future. And I love Alex Crusoe. Like, I think everyone loves Alex Crusoe. Impossible guy to dislike. Sort of like Prime Joakim Noah was an impossible guy to dislike. Alex Crusoe is the same. But I think similar to Joakim Noah, when it fell off, it fell off fast. I think you're going to see the same thing with Alex Crusoe. And so it's projecting. It's guesswork. I could be wrong on that. There's no reason Alex Crusoe couldn't be great for another, like, four or five years. And it could end up being a big mistake. But if I were projecting, uh, I think that is the better odds. And I think the upside of this season, again, still is probably that you're losing the plan. And I don't think that's an upside worth chasing versus trying to prepare yourself to actually be really good next year. And I would be more aimed at like, how can we rebuild this team, not tank, not strip it down to zero, but how can we now build this team around the good younger pieces we have and add some other pieces to them and uh, see how we could try to aim to be a similar quality team just built with a much younger core next year. So moving crews would be like that. Uh, Vooch, same thing. I mean, like, yeah, if you could get something for him, you should. You know, Torrey Craig, if he's healthy before the playoffs, and, or sorry, before the uh, trade deadline, and I think his timeline to come back was like right around the trade deadline. I think that's another one that, yeah, someone might, if Torrey Craig was shown to be healthy, might actually give you something really good for him because he could fit into some teams like trade exception without them having to send you any matching salary or just send you a different vet min player that they don't need because every team has got like a non-contributing vet min player on their roster and they could get a big upgrade in terms of their team without any salary expense. I think a team would actually give you a first rounder for a healthy Torrey Craig. And if you are not going to do anything this year anyway, and you move a guy like Crusoe, that's like a trade you should totally make. But it is definitely up in the air, depending on whether Craig can come back uh, prior to the, uh, the trade deadline and like show that he's going to be healthy. And I think that's 
dicey whether that can happen or not. Like maybe more likely than not, he won't be back in time for such a thing to happen. And yeah, we'll just have to, to see how that goes. So that's kind of my thought for what I would do. I think the case to like try and win more games now, like I get it. I, I don't know that I would sink any future assets into trying to be better now, but I can get why you might be like, well, well I don't want to like, I don't want to go back to 20 wins. I don't want to go back to 30 wins. Yeah, it's, it's rough. I don't want to do that either. And so that's just kind of the, the tough decisions the Bulls have to make because there's really not a high ceiling with keeping this group together where Caruso and DeMar and to a lesser extent Booch are driving like your wins. Like those guys aren't guys that are on the rise and they're guys that aren't even going to maintain what they're doing for very long. And so change is coming whether you like it or not and you're better off getting out ahead of it is, is kind of my overall thought. Anyway, that will do it for this edition of the Bulls Beat. Ben Doug Tonus talking about the Bulls. I will uh, talk to you soon.